Hi, this is Varun Haran with ISMG in Asia. I'll be speaking today with Justin Peters, who's the Technology Solutions Director for the APAC region for SOFOS. As we know, the world is right now reeling under the second massive wave of ransomware attacks, which is still ongoing. It seems to be a little bit more sophisticated than the WannaCry campaign that we saw less than two months ago. And Justin's going to speak about how we can contain some of these threats and mitigate them before they cause too much damage. So Justin, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Varun, and hi for everyone that's listening. So Justin, talk to us about the particulars of this kind of attack and what enterprises need to do to protect their critical assets, their business assets, and what they might be getting wrong. Because this kind of attack that we're seeing now is very different from the usual cyber attacks and targeted attacks that we've been seeing in the past few years. This has a worm-like ability to rapidly spread. Yeah, I mean, you talked about the two most recent incidents that have been highly publicised, being the Petcha or non-Petcha, and for the last few days, and then the WannaCry from about a month ago. Uh, basically, why there's such a focus on this is that we're seeing ransomware distributed using uh, techniques where it can spread much, much more rapidly. So the last few years, one of the main vectors for ransomware has been coming in via email, so phishing campaigns using weaponized documents or perhaps, you know, enticing users to click on a link where they will be taken over to a web service and the attack initiated that way. Those ways of initiating a malware or ransomware attack require uh, user intervention. You know, the user has to click, they initiate the attack. What's different with the recent Petya outbreak and the WannaCry incident is that they utilize approaches or tools to spread themselves, to propagate to other machines, other victims without any user intervention. So, you know, one of the pieces of functionality that WannaCry and, and Petya and non-Petya share is that they will try to spread out to other machines, exploiting a vulnerability in Windows. But, uh, you know, the exploit technique became available by the internal blue toolkit, which was made available by the Shadow Brokers hacking team. So, you know, using that exploit allows an infected machine to infect other neighboring machines without user intervention. So they can spread extremely rapidly. Now, four or five years ago, we we're more used to seeing worm activity and so really all that we're seeing now is malware authors or cyber criminals shifting gears a little bit and trying you know different proven techniques of spreading malware without relying on phishing attacks and uh, which have been popular and very effective over the last couple of years. There's another difference though in terms of between Petra and WannaCry in terms of that ability to spread and that Petra has another capability that WannaCry didn't have where essentially the malware will download and utilize a, a Windows tool called PSExec. A PSExec is commonly used by administrators and IT professionals to automate running processes and things like that in a Windows environment. With Petya, this tool is downloaded in an attempt to then be able to connect to other machines and use stolen credentials. So username and passwords from within the organization to log into other assets. So what that means is, is that with Petya, you've got the encrypting ransomware capability similar to WannaCry. You've got the ability to spread worm-like behavior by exploiting the Windows SMB vulnerability similar to WannaCry. But then you've also got this additional component where it will steal credentials and, and spread. And that means that a machine that's infected and trying to propagate with this threat will be able to potentially spread to other machines even if they have that Windows SMB patch applied. So what are the challenges for the IT community out there? I guess with 
ransomware. In general, it comes down to a lot of protecting your data and having a plan of what to do under an attack. But, you know, with these two most recent incidents, the problem becomes more difficult and it's highlighted because of this ability to rapidly spread. Right, it's scary, isn't it? I mean, even if you're patched away, at least with WannaCry, we could point fingers at people and say, okay, you didn't patch and that's what you need to do and have that basic hygiene in place. But now, even if you are patched and even if just one system happens to be out of hock in your network and gets infected and then it just spreads, what can you do to arrest this kind of behavior where you have lateral moving happening through all these trusted credentials and trusted access paths? I mean, people are really not going to be looking at those or maybe not even have the ability to look at malicious activity coming from there, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's challenging. And I think that incidents like this are actually a good opportunity for the security community to take a sort of a pause and revisit what's best practice and make sure that the things that you agreed were important from a security perspective a year or two years ago are still you know, being adhered to. In terms of these most recent attacks, I tend to think of them as collections of capabilities. You know, We've seen a lot of commentary as to where the attack came from, what its objectives are. And whilst that's important, I think it's more important to understand what sort of capabilities are used in an offensive way against organizations all around the world. So, you know, if we look at the ways that this malware is being propagated, we absolutely need to be looking at what we do on our email filters. We need to know, be checking where our users connect to on the web, so web filters and things like that. But in terms of tackling all of the vectors, we've seen that exploits are commonly used to propagate these attacks, and it might be ransomware or it could be something that, that isn't quite so obvious when an organization's in so, you know, something that's really there to steal data stealthily. But if we look at the fact that exploits are being commonly used, and this is a feature of the rapid spread of Petra and WannaCry, then, you know, we need technologies which allow us to detect that. So organizations are going to be able to further protect themselves by, you know, using gateway protection, so IPS and those types of controls to block the worm-like propagation traffic, which will allow you to contain an endpoint infected from affecting other endpoints. But in terms of getting back to, to how do you protect against these exploits? Well, you know, essentially you need to be patching, but you also need to be looking at some controls which allow you to detect some of those exploit techniques and, and disrupt the attack at that point before malware is introduced later on. And then, you know, I guess education of users as well is, uh, is becoming more and more important. And you mentioned before about, hey, you know, if there's not just a simple thing of you should have deployed the patch, how do we ascertain where the blame is? I mean, I, I guess within IT, there has been a tendency for us to sort of look at user behavior and, and sort of throw our hands in the air sometimes because it seems to be a deterrent. I think more and more we're maturing that view and looking at what's the best way to educate people so that they understand simply how to try and avoid these threats and also raise the alarm. How do you leverage your user base and the ones that are paying attention and want to stay safe? How do you leverage them as part of your security system, if you will? So user education is becoming increasingly important as well. You know, with these sorts of attacks, you tend to have the opportunity to stop them getting onto a machine, stop them being run on a machine, and then when they're running, pick up that they're doing something bad and stop it and revert the changes. Um, so you've got opportunities at a network level with user behavior and also on the endpoint. And in this day and age, it's going to be a combination of a system and leveraging all of those different aspects to provide the best sort of protection from these threats. So let's speak a bit about the objectives here. I mean, with WannaCry, at least we were clear that the attackers had a monetary objective 
objective in mind. They were demanding Bitcoin payments and you could see that Bitcoin being transferred into uh, the three yeah. wallet addresses they had. But with Pitcher, although on the one side it's so sophisticated, it's cleverer than how WannaCry propagated, but there's no robust payment mechanism and people can't even pay to get their files back. So there yeah. is talk that the objective wasn't actually monetary. It could be something as a smokescreen for something else. Do you share that idea? Yeah, look, uh, uh, even if you go back to WannaCry, to be honest, there was speculation at that point in terms of what the main objectives were. Now, you mentioned the Bitcoin wallets for WannaCry. There was a handful of them. And at the time, the security community kind of wondered, well, other modern ransomware that we're seeing has a much more sophisticated way of dealing with the payments. And there's usually individual Bitcoin wallets per victim, you know. So, for example, the payment mechanism in WannaCry was not as sophisticated as you would expect given the behavior of other types of ransomware out there. Sure. And you're right that with Petra or non-Petra, it's even less likely that component of ransomware, which is pay me the ransom and I'll provide your access to your data back, um, that seems even less likely to work because of the single Bitcoin wallet, the email address that you also in the instructions must contact to confirm your payment is no longer reachable. So the ISP has shut down that email address. So with Petra, it would appear that by its design, it was unlikely likely to be set up to be a money maker, which ransomware characteristically is used for. So the speculation has been, yes, you know, is this an attack from some other type of organization that is just masquerading as ransomware to sort of dupe us all and not reveal its real objective? That's entirely possible. I think the speculation around that and who it could be is difficult and is only speculation until, you know, we have more data to go on. And as you know, sometimes with these sorts of attacks, that can take a long time to actually come to the surface. Certainly, I've seen some speculation that it's got to do with some nation-state activity, but um, yeah, I think that's just really speculation. Right. So, um, so kind of hard to tell at this stage, I'd say. You don't have a clear target in mind. You don't have a clear objective in mind, and what you've put out there, it's just spreading like wildfire, and it's destructive. So, uh, even though it purports to be ransomware, wouldn't you call it more like an encryption of virus? It's, it's more of a virus, right? Like we used to have uh, back in the day. Going back to, I guess, one of my points before in a different way is I certainly look at these threats as it's an attack that uses multiple capabilities. So whether we call it a ransomware or a crypto worm or, you know, because it seems that there's no real intention to recover the data, you know, some have been calling it a wiper or a crypto wiper, which so is basically wiping a machine. You know, I'd come back to my point that, you know, it's what does the attack do and what capabilities does it have? So, you know, in one way, it's legitimate to call it ransomware because because it does use encryption, it does throw up ransom note, and one way it's legitimate to call it a wiper because it literally does render your machine unusable. You know, I think that understanding what its capabilities are and then understanding what sort of capabilities you need from a defensive point of view is probably more important, I think, because then that leads back to, you know, best practices and maybe for some of your listeners out there, maybe they understand that there's some gaps or some areas that need to be revisited, so it's, it's a little bit more pragmatic in that way. But um, definitely agree with you that it's uh, it sort of harks back to some of I think probably more scary times indeed sort of five six years ago where there was more prevalence of these worms which just rapidly spread and had a rapid impact. This is getting big. I mean, the business of ransomware is getting big. We recently heard about the South Korean organization that paid up about a million dollars to get its uh, yeah. data back, right? We've had WannaCry, mm. we've had Petya now, so it's not going to stop anytime. It's just going to get bigger. It's going to get worse. So what's the next thing that you expect to happen? 
So definitely what we see is the objective stays the same. So profit and we see that the cyber criminals that are, that are driving the volume of ransomware are quite adept at shifting gears and using different types of technologies, different ways of propagating the attacks. So with that in mind, we know that we're going to continue to see the Windows platform heavily targeted. The incident for the web hosting company you mentioned in Korea, that was their Linux servers that were impacted. The data was on their Linux servers. And we've seen in the last maybe four to six weeks, some in the wild ransomware attacks targeting OSX, so the Mac platform. So I think what we're seeing is the beginning of ransomware really propagating to other platforms beyond Windows. Probably one of the biggest concerns out there would be the problem of ransomware on Android mobiles. So those devices are, are so prevalent now. It's a growing market. It um, It is easier to dupe users into kicking off an attack on a phone. A lot of the telltale signs that users who've been trained to look for they're on their PC in terms of their emails it's a little bit harder to determine uh, on a mobile phone because you've got less information obviously the smaller screen so I think that we're going to see more of uh, that activity so basically ransomware that, that targets users on their mobile devices of course that uh, kind of opens things up quite widely because then the users you can go after are, are not just you know business users of common finance but it's also broader into just private citizens as well what can enterprises, what can practitioners do to prepare for this? What are they doing now that's not enough or what are they doing now that needs to improve? Yeah, good question. It comes down to do you have the right tools to do the job and do you have the, the resources in place? I think those are the key questions. And then every other consideration is kind of a subset of that. So if you take ransomware as our example we're talking about today, you know that you need to have a backup strategy that's robust, that's in place, that's been proven so you've done restores you need to understand what the impact that activity is on the business in terms of time and money so you need technology to be able to do that you need skilled people that can set it up correctly and help you if you need to do things like restores that might be in in staff it might be working with a partner in SI something like that you need when you take into context these attacks do you have security layers that will allow you different opportunities to disrupt or interrupt the attack so basically break the kill chain if you don't, if you realize you've got some gaps there, then it may mean you know, filling in those gaps. One of the areas that is increasingly something that organizations need to look at is how do you understand how attack occurred? So you know, your security products need to be able to inform you and advise you as to how the attack came in. So you need to be able to quickly determine the root cause. And so for the CIOs and the CSOs out there, how, how do you do that? There's various ways of doing it. One way is to have products, security products that collaborate together. So you move beyond having individual products and have a security system, which can work out from the network and the endpoint side what happened in the attack. And if it can then sort of automatically remediate even better. And so there's so much focus on ransomware at the moment, which is good because it gets the message about best practices out there. Yeah. But there's many other threats that can spread in the same way that Petra or WannaCry have. And if those threats are there to steal your data and do that in a stealthy fashion where the longer they can stay within your environment, environment the better, then organizations need to be thinking about that next exposure. Thank you so much, Justin. Thanks so much for your insight today. No worries, Varun. Pleasure to speak to you. Thanks a lot. So that was Justin Peters, Technology Solutions Director for APAC at Sophos. For ISMG in Asia, this is Varun Haran. Thanks for listening.